Hey everybody, welcome to Video Nights. What? I'm introducing this episode? That's never happened before with Andrew yeah, on hey, the other side. Yeah, this is so old school. You're supposed to say, hey Andrew, and I'm supposed to say, hey no, Michael. No, this is whatever. a changing of the guard, buddy. <laughs> That's how. <laughs> okay. Um, right. So this is weird. This is uh, the last episode before we go on hiatus with Video Night, but it's also the pilot for the spinoff we're doing, which is called We Got the Beat. Which is going to be focused on teen movies of the 80s and 90s. If that's successful, I, I honestly wouldn't mind doing We Got to Beat the Next Generation or We Got to Beat the Aftermath where we talk about yuppie movies of the 80s. I don't know. You know, you oh, know, uh. you know I'm just thinking, no, I'm just thinking about that. Like, what do you do after this? If it's successful, you can do other things. But I don't want to jump the gun, Andrew. I do this a lot. Nope. I water you off do. the range. You get it way ahead of yourself. Yes. But uh, so. what, what are, we were talking about, four teen movies that you chose, because it's a long yeah, list. Yeah, they're, they're all Ooh. John Hughes movies. What? Uh, every John Hughes movie. We're not going to cover that. No, but not I this do have episode. A secret. I yeah. have a confession to say, which is I do actually quite like John Hughes teen movies, and I didn't think I did, but I do, having rewatched several of them recently. Oh, what but for? That's not, just just that's, because? Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Literally just feeling it, you know. So I showed him uh, a list, a, a massive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a notebook filled to the brim of all the teen movies of the eighties. We haven't even touched the nineties yet. And I said, "Well, I, you know, oh, what? Dear one God. of them you chose. Huh? You absolutely chose the first one that we're going to cover." Well, you, you drew... did. I agreed with it. Because yeah. Okay. That's how. We, that's how we're doing. It. Okay. Um, because but... I looked at this list and it was insane, and I showed you everything of what. See, yep. I haven't seen all these yet, by the way, so it's a good thing that I'm giving <laughs> myself time. The official launch will be yeah. in March, so we're going to take a month off from this whole thing and then launch that. Watch everything. Oh, my God. Some have been so stinkerio. Woo! Mm-hmm. I have a large yeah, size of stinkerio pizza piece. Thank you. You uh, start with uh, what? This is actually the one that you chose on this list. The rest are mine. Uh, Yeah, Legend of Billy Jean. She was a fugitive to the police. A sensation to the media. And a symbol of courage to young people everywhere to fight for what's right. The Legend of Billie Jean, directed by Matthew Robbins, featuring Pat Benatar's hit song, Invincible. I knew that you were a fan of it. That's why I offered it up. Well, yeah, it's a beautiful film. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah, it's uh, this is one that was one of those lost movies forever, and I don't know why. I don't know if it was music rights, or I, I feel like this was a Fox release that was on Key Video, and that was part of the problem because we now have it from Mill Creek, which is a license from Shout Factory. <laughs> That's a lot of, uh, not Shout Factory, Mill Creek Whoa. from Sony. Sony, okay. Yeah. So, okay. yeah, this is one of those that you would see on HBO all the time, but for a while there, it was really, really hard to find. It was a TriStar Pictures distribution. Oh, okay. So it came like... out in 1985, uh-huh. and it was shot in Corpus Christi, which is not too far. In fact, it's like two and a half hours away from where I am. Yeah. Well, it's strange. This is directed by Matthew Robbins, who I think before this had only done Dragon Slayer. He was kind of uh, one of the LucasArts guys, right? Whoa, he did Dragon Slayer? Yeah. He did THX, and uh, he worked on THX, Sugarland Express, Jaws. Yes, he's one of those people. Close Encounters, Dragon Slayer. I am impressed. Not to be confused with Dragon Slayer. 
No, I love Dragon Slayer. It's it's um, it's a really dark Disney movie. I love it. I'm guessing what uh, they saw in him for this project was that he could handle younger actors, and it seemed like yeah, it was maybe. a thing that a lot of people couldn't do back then. Uh, well. Because there's a lot of exploitation films at this time, but if you could handle a good cast and deliver a story decently, they usually chose you for other youth-oriented movies. It would be a different genre, but, you know, focused around kids. Yeah, this story, uh, I'm pretty sure you don't know this, is a retelling of a folktale. I believe it's a German or Nordic folktale. I think it's German. Really? But Ring, it's a Ring folk of the tale, yes. <laughs> uh, No, it's it's really a true story, but the truest version of the story is the person's not actually that heroic, but the folk tale is. His horses were stolen by... Um, I, 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 what's it called? I forget. A junk? I forget what he's called. But anyway, some like hoity-toity rich person stole his horses, and he wanted them back, so he goes and gets them back, and he starts a revolution. And by starting that revolution, he gets townspeople together, and they sack other villages that the guy uh, rules. <laughs> they do a lot of damage. And that's not what this movie is, but it's based on the plot gotcha. of this guy's inspired uh, by. story. Yeah, inspired by. It's pretty much rich kid steals the horse, which is a scooter from poor kid Poor kid's big sister tries to get the scooter back after it's been damaged. She goes and uh, confronts the father, saying, give me more money uh, for this. Give me money for repair. And he uh, comes on a bit too strong, so to speak. Tries to work out a deal in sexual favors, and she ain't going for that. There's a gun involved somehow, and it goes off and... uh, Accidentally, without intent. Nobody intended to kill anybody or shoot anybody, but it goes off and it hurts a guy. And uh, thus, they become fugitives, the brother and sister, played by the unrelated Slaters. I was convinced. Helen. I was so convinced for years until I listened to uh, an interview with Helen Slater, and she goes, yeah, everybody thinks that. Uh, no, here's the other thing is the casting director, Mary Jo Slater, which is Christian Slater's <laughs> mom. Christian and, Slater's mom, yeah. yeah. And uh, it's just so Christian Slater is the the boy, uh, and Helen Slater's the girl, the older sister, and also Lisa Simpson's in this. Um, Not my and, favorite character. <laughs> uh, she's she was she's funny and kind of annoying, but Keith Gordon is also. Oh, uh, love Keith is, Gordon. He's he's the interesting. You know, the whole thing is interesting. Peter Coyote is a sympathetic policeman. Um, on the case, but Keith Gordon's character is interesting because he is born with a silver spoon, but he empathizes with the lower class people, the poor people. And so he lends his helping hand to her to play off as a, uh, as, as if he's maybe a hostage. Yeah. But he knows that he's not going to get hurt. It's just such a really good story. And she becomes a folk hero, much like the German story. I forget, it's Michael something, by the way. Similar name as you, Mikal or something. Anyway, um, it's it's a really good story, and it's 
instead of playing, because it's 1985, instead of playing a sort of feminist thing as they would now, they really would make it only about feminine feminism and stuff. It does have that here, but as the advertisements and the movie itself is, she's not for that, she's for the people. Right. The dra- downtrodden people. She becomes a symbol for the people. It's more of a Joan of Arc situation than... Um, well, doesn't she even see... The, she sees a picture of Joan of Arc, and that's what inspires her to cut her hair, correct? Yes, she watches... It was on TV, yeah. Right, right. You know, yeah, I watched this... Keith Gordon. I, the thing I had a problem with in the movie this time, and I had kept on a fight with myself in my head, is... Um, I forget what it's like to be a stupid teenager sometimes. And they make these impulsive decisions. A lot of this they escalate on their own because they're kids and they don't know how to make the right choices and they panic and, and, and stuff like that. And I just kept going, yeah. if you guys would just stop and go straight to the cops, you would have fixed all of this, but they keep escalating. And the worst problem is she's somewhat responsible, but her little brother it just constantly escalates things without her knowledge, <laughs> like, like bringing the gun into it, the whole thing or whatever. That made it yeah. But, you yeah. know, Keith Gordon isn't even that well. I mean, why would you have that's the hostage things that seemed like it was even a worse idea? But well, he's like, I'm rich. Uh, they won't. They'll pay out. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, it, as you're watching it, um, this is one that I don't. I, I think symbolically more of it than I do think about the the real world ramifications right. of everything. So, but I, also, I, you, I don't. I throw this movie a bone. Right. You also forget what it was like to be a kid, though, because as an adult, I would never do this stuff. But you forget the things you did as a teenager. Sometimes, or well, you probably you're a little Mr. Nope. Perfect, aren't you? No, no, no. <laughs> I'm a massive time, screw I one a kid. time egged a house. <laughs> I egged a house one time, and uh, toilet papered and egged a house one time, and I felt really, really bad. I uh, so I wasn't. Yeah, I um, super perfect. I look back on some of the stuff and wonder how I wasn't arrested. I really don't know how I wasn't. <laughs> oh God. I'm, I'm not kidding. There's some things that are, we'll talk about one day that's truly cringe-inducing. Um, oh, gosh. Yes. Uh, or the shock that I'm alive. Um, so oh, you, you have to try to set your brain into that place. You also have to set your brain into a place where it's not as movie movie as they are today. You know what I mean? Like, okay, so you know when she has a rousing uh, videotape where she's talking about fair is fair? And yeah. I kept expecting the speech to be better. And I was like, well, wait, she if you want this to be realistic, sometimes this is how teenagers talk. They don't have Aaron Sorkin off on the sidelines writing some clever quip, you know, uh, handing them notes of what to say in the video. Or that, or or the finale where she just kicks it. Well, I'm ruining it a little bit, but she kicks him in the balls yeah. or whatever and just says, you know, embarrass yeah. him from all those people. And, you know, today we would have, oh, well, that ending isn't big enough. We, let's go back for reshoots, you know, and stuff like that. Oh, what? You, I find that I find everything to be really appropriate. No, it is. It is. But you forget what it was like for 1985-style filmmaking. Now the camera would shake 7,000 times. Everybody would have the most clever lines in history. And, every, oh, yeah. you know, they would end up with a huge action sequence. And you just kind of have to pause and remember what movies were like 30 years ago, 35 years ago. That they weren't just... Well, like, I do... I do find it to be appropriately stylish. Like, okay, remember when we talked about Tremors? You and I both note that Tremors is very workmanlike in its direction, except we can't find any flaws in that approach. Like, it's almost a perfect movie in spite of the workmanlike way it's shot. That's similar to this. It's, It's stylish to a 
like an appropriate level without going hyper or anything. Right. Well, I mean, teen so. movies tend to be more uh, stylish because it's uh, of the moment. And it's interesting to see he did carry some of this over to Batteries Not Included. And that was a big hit. So I'm kind of surprised, as far as I saw, he only ever did one other movie called Bingo, which I've never seen. It's one of those, I think, talking dog movies. I don't know. But uh, after that, he's done. I don't, think he's, I don't think he's done anything since. I think he's been a writer, but he doesn't direct. And I was like, when you look at Batteries Not Included in, in Legend of Billie Jean, Dragon Slayer, there's clearly something there, and I don't know what happened. Right. Hmm. Well, speak about I don't know what happened. Yeah. The next Woo. the next film is a Robert Altman film, which let's just talk a little bit about Robert Altman. Do you like his movies? Nope. In general. No, oddly no. enough, the very first movie I ever saw was a Robert Altman film. What was it? It was Popeye. It was the first thing I ever saw. <laughs> right. Popeye? What is that? That's a that's a that's a Robert Altman movie? What? It's a so snooze. Pop- I've heard people it's argue really, that it's great, and I'm like, it looks beautiful, but oh, boring. Well, it's it's got an interesting soundtrack, and it's shot interestingly, but as a kid, I didn't connect to it at all, and I thought it was strange, like too strange for its own good, and it wasn't one of those that weirded me out. I was just like, this isn't working, and it's kind of got the overlaid dialogue stuff that Altman is known for. He did that in Nashville to the worst He's also done some good movies like uh, Gosford Park, which was the the idea for Downton Abbey. That's where that began. Really, I know. Gosford Park. I've only yeah. ever, I think I've only ever seen one of his movies, and I think it was The Player, which I enjoyed, but I've never gone back. Yeah, The it. Player is another one that when I saw it, I didn't connect to. I don't like Robert Altman for the most part. But you also don't Three like women movies about movies either, <laughs> <laughs> right? It, it, for the most part, yes. But uh, the movie Three Women. Is, it's a new newer Criterion release. That is actually pretty decent. Uh, it's weird, but it's decent, and it's not as cacophonous as his movies usually are. And then there's this movie, which is a National Lampoon story. When so I it, read yeah. more and more about it, oh my god. The movie's called O.C. and Sticks. Yo, Bongo, this is Oliver Cromwell Ogilvy. O.C. to my friends, of which I have won. Sticks. Bongo, let me tell you about the utterly monstrous, mind-roasting summer we had. I've got the most incredible, brain-exploding plan in the world to make a pile of money. I wanted to know if either of you two have given any thought to your summer plans at all. They're not really plans. It's more of a strategy. Get your hands up now! We need to buy something from you. What you boys want? Liquor. Atomic-grade, high-powered thinking liquor. Go for it. This little bastard, he's certified bona fide crazy, man. Woo! All right. <laughs> what the hell was that? You having a good time? And those two characters are like anti-teens. The concept of the characters was, I don't know if you read that article I sent you. I, I skimmed it because I I, I, you know. I could only read like half of the article. It's so big and daunting yep. that I only got like halfway through. The characters, so the guys who created it, O.C. and Stiggs for National Lampoon Magazine were noting how teenagers were in the 70s and they wanted to kind of um, influence them in the way that they were as counterculture in the 60s. And so they started writing these kind of anarchic, I'm going to say a little bit like um, Fear and Loathing type. But yeah, I was going to say the little, the little Hunter S. Thompson's. 
Yeah, a little. Yeah, kind of like those guys. But they, in the article, they never mentioned that. But when Robert Altman was approached, he was like, "Nah, I'll pass. No thanks." And then he looked more into it and was like, "Well, I need to be making movies because I want to be making movies." He hated the studio system because they wanted to make him change things on just about every movie that he made in the system. And he's a director, director, like an auteur. Yeah, you know like him or hate him. There's something interesting. I was reading about. Okay, sorry. Boom. Yeah, hold on, hold on. He <laughs> decided to make this movie as an anti-teen movie because he absolutely hated what the teen movies were, which were more like Porky's. Teen sex romps. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say I, he was so frustrated with the studio system. If I remember correctly, when he was shooting Quintet. He used the money to start his own production house, which was called Lionsgate, and that eventually, after selling it off and it molded into something else, eventually became the studio Lionsgate. Oh, I didn't know that at all. Yeah, and he just wanted wow. to film. He filmed it in Canada, I mean, obviously, because that's the setting, but he also wanted to be very far away from the studio because he was tired of them meddling. Huh. Is that okay. why he shot Popeye in Malta? That would make a lot more sense. That would make sense, yeah. Uh, but yes, when the <laughs> a producer on the film, O.C. and Stiggs, one time talked to the executives, he went off on that producer and was like, do not ever talk to them. <laughs> Only I talk to them, and I never talk to them. They are the enemy. <laughs> so what he, re- what he turned out was a film, which the second time that I saw it, which is this time, I actually quite enjoyed the first time I watched it, which was a couple of years ago. I hated the thing. I was where you are, Michael. Yeah, it was the first time I watched I it. Was and I was right just there. lost. Yes, I was right there. But this time, I have a lot more appreciation for it, and I love Paul Dooley. Uh, he plays the uh, what is he? He's an insurance mogul in <laughs> Arizona, where they live, and. Um, He's a racist. He. This is not why I like him. I love Paul Dooley. <laughs> oh, anyway. a whole new side of you is revealed. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, Paul Dooley is a really great, funny character actor, and he works a lot with Altman. And he's a great TV actor. We've seen him time and time again. He's awesome. Uh, Jane Curtin plays his alcoholic wife. She hated this character that she played and how she played it because she said it was like really cruel to alcoholics (laughs) (laughs) because all she does her whole thing she has very few lines most of the time she looks bewildered that's the character not her uh, place on the set she knew what she was doing and she is constantly finding a way to drink alcohol through various props that she's they've set up with like uh, flasks inside of them and like so there's a flask binoculars and like, they don't work for anybody. <laughs> They're full of alcohol. So, but O.C. and Stiggs are two teenagers who hate this family. Um, John Pryor is the son of the, that family, uh, and I forget who the daughters are. But John Cryer is a dweeb. He played it perfectly as a dweeb. Um, the movie goes... It, it is really Hunter S. thompson It goes off the rails, especially at the wedding. 
Do you it, remember the Uzi? Yeah, it just seems like it's it's basically a condensing of all the random stories, right? Because O.C. and Stiggs is that ba- that's based on reality, right? Like the stories these guys. Not, are- not uh, uh, sort of. It's primarily the one story about like the summer. He he names it like when he calls up uh, Africa, <laughs> the country of Africa, and to to, to run up their phone bill. Uh, <laughs> Stiggs Stiggs is talking to one of uh, some small African country leader. He's like, let me tell you about my whatever bodacious summer, whatever it was called. But that's the name of one of the shorts, short stories that they wrote. Uh-huh. But elements of, yes, a lot of their short stories ended up working in. And those short stories are based on the two authors' uh, exaggerated life experiences. So it's all these stories, so, and they're they're basically taking bits and pieces and trying to make it into a story. So it's almost episodic. Yes, it's a um, scenario based. Two bored, rich weirdos who decide to get into. They're a, not a, really rich. No, they're not rich. Okay, they're just from that kind of '80s where everybody looks preppy. Yeah, but they also dress. Um, like iconoclastically so like instead of just being preppy they dress like they're from the 20s <laughs> in the scene. i um i don't think we discussed this beforehand but you know i told you about my one friend aaron in high school he was the weird one who always brought over that he's the one who exposed me to like with well, their cliches now but like strange brew evil dead uh monty python yeah. and stuff you know i was so so mainstream um, yes, and he was like the, the more go out out of that box. Yeah, he got me into ska and all sorts of stuff like that. He was always like a two or three years ahead of all the new trends, and he loved this movie. Yet somehow I never watched this movie. He, it was impossible to find, but he had seen it and he just worshipped it. And wow, um, he dressed like these guys. He acted like these guys, <laughs> except for the alcohol part. He was very well behaved. And uh, he just would walk around dressed like these guys all the time and be, like, real chill. <laughs> yeah, they, these guys aren't exactly chill. They are... This movie is packed uh, with, with actors, man. Mar- Melvin Van Peebles is in it. Like Martin Maul's in this, right? Martin Maul is in it. Yeah, by the way, Martin Maul played one of the guys who wrote the story in um, the... Netflix movie about the National Lampoon thing. Huh. Um, yeah, he played. Spoiler: He played the older version of the guy who killed himself when he was young. Oh right, right, right. He was right, like, yeah. "It's a National Lampoon movie. What do you expect?" Huh. You know. No, no. This isn't. <laughs> this was not sold as a National Lampoon movie, correct? When it came out, they no. Stripped their National name of Lampoon it. was not on the poster like it usually is for National Lampoon movies. So, I don't know why not, but. Yeah, it's so it's it's hard to actually tell you what the movie is about. It's just their war against this family, really. And as you said, it it's episodic or like scenario based, where there's moments where they just have little adventures, and then it ties up at the end. Yeah, I mean it's not but a new thing. And, and a lot of teen movies are like this: Better Off Dead, Fast Times Ridgemont High, where it's just little as you flow through their life, just little segments, a new adventure. Yeah. yeah. But this one, being Altman, it is literally an anti-teen movie. It doesn't do anything that teen movies do. Yeah, except, I think maybe that's uh, why except I on did, paper. I think maybe that's why I didn't on like paper, it because in my brain, I'm expecting certain moments that you've seen all teen yeah. movies. On paper, you read teens rambunctious against the system. Okay, that that can be a teen movie, but in, in execution. 
like the Mario Van, Me, Mel, sorry, Mario is his son. Melvin Van Peebles character dies, and they just like, oh, okay, we'll come back and deal with you later, and we're gonna go do this party right now, and that's where they leave it. Like these kids are very immoral. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, but I enjoyed the film now this second time with a better brain than what I had before. I think the first time you watch it, you're never going to have a good brain about it. Uh, and so, I, I don't know if you should watch it again, Michael, yeah. but you might you might feel better about it. I might have, but I think I, think I was a little disappointed too. For some reason, I was led to believe that John Cusack, not John Cusack, John Cryer was um, a bigger role. I thought he was either OC or Stiggs. And I no, was he going, went up. Uh, he went up for Stiggs and they said you're too obvious well he's also too young but he had the same comic timing as he always does like he's really good at his comic timing so Cryer they decided to make him the dweeb <laughs> when the the two characters the females that they call the sluts which are just two easy girls that they know and O.C. and Stiggs break into the pool uh-huh. uh, to use their pool <laughs> he's like dad dad uh Oh wait, no, never mind, never mind. Because they started skinny dipping, <laughs> so he just started peeping on them, skinny dipping because you know they're the sluts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then his dad hears the commotion, Paul Dooley, and he's like, "What?" And he's like, "Nothing. Um, I don't. Uh, they're over." Yeah. Anyway, it's good, Paul. It's good, um, John Cryer stuff. But you're right; it is smaller than you would expect. But he, it was still like what. You said this was held back for a few years? Yeah, so it was... And I wonder if that helped get it released, because by the time it was released is when he was in that big run of all movies that flop and I had no idea they'd fly, uh, hiding out, uh, dudes, uh, Morgan Stewart's coming home, another movie I believe that set on a shelf forever. Yeah, and, um, well, Superman 4, but <laughs> let's not talk about that one. But But he was also in the John Hughes movie, so... Yeah, but that was the year before. And pretty, in pink. pretty in Pink, yeah. But Pretty in Pink, like, put him up. Right. So people wanted to see him, or they thought that they did, you know. So, anyway, O.C. and Stiggs, I say watch it, but I'll probably watch it uh, two times. Ooh, yeah, lower your expectations, too. Just don't... Yeah, do that, do that. I went in knowing that I did not like Altman, and I was, like, rewarded with not liking Altman still. And the second time, I had to get over my not liking Altman. So it, it has some bias to it. So there's that. Hmm. Next. I, I think my favorite on this list. It's yeah, pretty good. My absolute I really, my absolute wa- I really watched this it this list time. Is, is 3 o'clock high. It's time for a typical day at Weaver High. There's team sports. Cutting class. I wouldn't leave school without a good reason. Fire drills. And library skills. But the biggest event of the day... We're gonna have a fight. ...happens after school. There isn't gonna be any fight today! <laughs> Three o'clock high. Rated PG-13. That's my favorite. Yes. And, and you know what I didn't notice the first time at all? I saw it about a decade ago. And I really enjoyed yep. it, but I didn't notice how it was directed. And oh, yeah. I realized so much more style and, and, and thought was put into the directing, and frankly, more budget usually than these teen movies are usually just so quickly shot and thrown out. 
there was something clearly that Spielberg saw in um, crap. What's the director's name? Bill. Phil Jonu. Yeah, I almost said Philip Noyce. Jo- Jonu. Right. <laughs> uh, okay, so so here's the thing. Phil Jonu was a director protege under Spielberg. This is mentioned many times on the Shout Factory special features. The people who know the story around the making of it referred to him as a protege. He had worked on two, at least two, maybe three episodes of Amazing Story. And... Um, he hired Spielberg hired him to do this movie. He handed him the script and he was like, I want you to do this movie. I think it's right for you. So he looked at it and then he was like, nah, it's too John Hughes. I'm not John Hughes. I can't do this. Never mind. So he said, no. And then the next day he was like frantically knocking down the door. <laughs> he actually got to the Spielberg's office earlier in the morning and was like, I'm sorry. I said no to you. I'm stupid. I'm saying yes now. Is that okay? And he's like, yeah, go ahead. But <laughs> when he started working on this, he hired Barry Sonnenfeld. This is why it looks ah, the way it does. Yes. Barry Sonnenfeld, dire- uh, camera director, DP, as he called it, director of photography, for various Coen Brothers movies. And Very apparently, visual. from what I've read, porn. <laughs> he started off in porn. Uh, I have no idea about that that might be the coolest looking porn ever, though. Yeah, well, uh, you can categorize things differently, though, back then. Is it legitimately, like, porn porn? Or is it, like, Shannon Tweed kind of porn? Or, uh, yeah, exploitation. Yeah. Uh, so he worked on um, the normies who are listening to us, which I don't know if any of you are, are uh, Adam's Family Values and Men in Black. Or Adam's Family Movies and Men in Black movies. Two, maybe three Men in Blacks. Um, men's in black men in black anyway so Barry Sonnenfeld is a very visual director and I love how he shoots for the most part men in black 2 can go away but miserable but he shoots with almost a film noir flair added on to the amazing uh, set pieces yes well well he worked with Bo Welch a lot I, I think yeah okay so you have you seen Martin Scorsese's After Hours Yes. Well, this movie is a teen movie after hours, set during the day. I can totally see that, yeah. Juno said that. He said, Jonu, excuse me, he said that. He's like, I ripped off after hours. Once you hear me say that and then go back and look at after hours and look at this movie, it's the same thing. <laughs> he lifted so many shots. His camera work is inspired by it. And the thing is, it's one of my absolute favorite Scorsese movies is After Hours. Um, the other one is like uh, Bringing Out the Dead. So I like the kinetic stuff. And the camera work in this movie is really it. Uh, otherwise, it's a good performance thing, but Spielberg took his name off of it because it was too dark and it worked too um, stylish. And now, wanted more... is, that, is that what's said in the commentary? Because I've heard different arguments i've yeah, heard aaron well, spelling is, insisted that spielberg's name be uh taken off and that it was an aaron spelling production because he wanted to have ownership over well that. no no aaron spelling just didn't want to sell it to amblin he just wanted to stay on as an executive oh. producer so he could get some points on it they thought that it was going to be a big hit but once spielberg took his name off it was because it was too dark and too stylish he came to set and he was like just lock the camera down and have the characters say their lines 
And Jonu <laughs> said no. <laughs> he's just going to have it shot the way he That's shot so strange, it. Now, what though, it is, because you would think that when he saw the final product, he'd be like, okay, yeah, I leave my name on this. I don't understand that. That doesn't seem like a Spielberg thing. It's so I, confusing. I, I don't know. Spielberg is, is a weird guy, though. Because he doesn't um, usually do generic movies. He usually has some sort of style and attitude. Mm-hmm. And this movie is very much all style and all attitude. And it has really good content. Now, the story itself feels like uh, 12 o'clock high. Um, do you mean high noon? Uh, high noon, actually. 12 o'clock high. I always do this. 12 o'clock high is an Air Force uh, fighter right. pilot yeah. World War II movie. Uh, and High Noon is the cowboy movie where Gary Cooper is trying to find a way to avoid or accrue some people to help him take down a bad guy. He has to face the bad guy. The time is a coming where he has to face the bad guy, but he can't get any help. And that's a similar plot as this one. But this one has a lot of other elements in it that are like, you know, the friend trying to frame the bully because it, okay, we got to tell the plot. Yeah, it's another one of those escalation movies where, you know, a teenager yeah. makes these impulsive, scared decisions and go ahead though. But the good, the good kid inadvertently ruffles the feathers in a bad way of the new bully kid who shows up in, at this school and the bully kid wants to fight him at 3 o'clock after school that's it good kid wants to avoid it tries to avoid it in various different ways tries to get people to help him tries to even go to adults but the adults won't don't believe him <laughs> various things so um it's it's just literally my favorite i believe other than like breakfast club maybe weird science it's like one of those now like, do you do you Those categorize are, this as a comedy? Because I feel this is more of a thriller with comedic moments. This is a black comedy a, at best. It's called a... Yeah, that is it. That's it. It's a dark comedy. Yeah, it's... That's it's, it. That's it, how it was presented. I, I do laugh through it. There are some very hilarious moments, like when the um, the security guard catches him trying to leave, and he has a, a knife on him that was stabbed into his steering wheel with a note, and he... He takes the note, and the the, the security guard is uh, Mitch Pileggi from X Files, and he uh, he doesn't believe the kid. He looks at the note and crumples it up and just tosses it off. But the next shot is a reverse shot of seeing the paper fly away, and you'd think that it would just fall to the ground, but instead it chucks chucks through the air really far. Really good stylish moments like that. That's where a lot of the comedy comes from is a cause and effect like that. Yeah. The uh... If you like this and want to see an exploitation version of it, the year prior there was another high noon in high school uh, movie called 315 A Moment of Truth, which uh, I believe is only available on YouTube because some kind soul saved the VHS copy because that one is lost. Yeah, I saw that a while ago, I think at your uh, suggestion, like a long time ago. And uh, because I, I went and I, I looked at YouTube when you asked if I saw that recently. And it's already been played. Like, it shows that I played it. Okay. <laughs> so I'm like, uh, yeah, I've seen at least some of it. But I don't remember it being exactly high noon 
like this movie is. No, it's not to the T, but there's the thing where it escalates with another gang. He has to face off with the gang. No one will help him. He has to basically take him on by himself. So I thought those are kind right. of similar. Gangs. Okay. But it's more yeah. influenced by, I would say, like Class of 1984. And uh, like maybe the Warriors yeah, or something? Yeah, definitely. The, um, there's definitely le- leather jacket gangs. <laughs> my fa- now this movie... Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, my favorite moment no, you... in the uh, uh, three o'clock high is the one I was telling you about. Is the inadvertent goof <laughs> when they're having the final fight sequence and they pan upwards, and there's a cast member there who clearly is not in high school. He looks like he's about forty. I just totally didn't see it. Yeah, I didn't and see he's, that. He's, he goes, he's, bit, he yeah, it's goes by so quickly. Yeah, he just stared at the camera the whole time. No one caught it apparently. Just staring at it as it's rising into the yeah, sky. Yeah, I still, I still didn't catch it myself. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so, so this story has also been remade uh, in a movie called Fist Fight, which yep. came out in 2017. Now, this movie does have uh, it's an 80s comedy, so they have a couple of lines of dialogue that are not too uh, kind um, to gay dudes, I guess. Um, and it's the burly dudes that say it. So uh, that is like a, a a super macho response to something that obviously isn't what's going on. And there's the teacher getting sweet on a, a student in this movie in te- in three o'clock high, which it's a female teacher getting sweet on a boy, our, our protagonist, actually. Um, there's another girl trying to give up her virginity to the main character. There's various things that, you would say, Michael, how does this get? How, this couldn't get made now. Yeah, but it can. Yeah, and it's it way more offensive well in this fight. <laughs> in this fight, yes, it's like way more offensive, and they're swinging hard for like the rated R thing. In this fight, you do have the same thing with the teacher, and also beat for beat, but just rearrange strangely. Now, when this movie starts, you have. Again, Lisa Simpson shows up and she's just one of the high schoolers going like, did you hear about this new student? He's a badass. He's this and that. And it just hops. Dialogue hops from cluster of teens to cluster of teens explaining how much of a badass Buddy Ravel, the new bully kid, is. And that is in Fist Fight, but it is after you meet... Uh, the the teacher and it's flipped it's teachers now that are going to get in a fist fight um ice cube is the teacher who's the bully and then then later you have students and faculty talking about i heard this about him and that about him then you have the 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 macho high school um football guy that casey what's his name it's not casey it's jerry oh yeah casey semesco jerry yeah he hires him to beat up Buddy Ravel. That scene is played out, but it's also it's played out in a jail cell. And it's like everything in this movie has been lifted and rearranged. Wait, how did they not sue? Down- That's like the most confusing thing. If you can sue uh, Lockout for ripping off uh, Escape from New York, you could definitely rip- sue Fist Fight. Yeah, I don't know if it's an internal thing where they're like, we're doing this movie, it's cool, or... Not I, I see no ties to it except for every beat, including Jillian Bell, the the funny female teacher character, totally having the hots for a side character teenage boy, and she says the line like, 
once they hit 18, they're legal. And by the end of the movie, she does hook up with that kid. It's creepy, but it's played as like, that's cool. It's ha ha, laugh, laugh. Wow. Wow. So yeah, you can make that stuff now. You can just have it be rated R and it's fine. And I'm not for censoring stuff and whatever, and I get what jokes are. It's just that when I've heard Michael say, you can, get, you can make that now. <laughs> yeah, you can. <laughs> it's and you it's can make usually, it well, you and I have had this discussion with 80s movies. It's a lot of homophobia and a lot of like, oh, they, they're really going to do that to a woman. All right. Horrifying. They, uh, I watched Used Cars the other day. And have you seen Used Cars? No, I haven't. Uh, I've only ever seen it on TV, and there's a moment in the full version, the, on the edited version, where there's a... That's too complicated, but they basically sexually uh, assault a woman in it for a comedic effect, and I was, like, just taken out of the movie immediately. I was like, oh, jeez. Robert Zemeckis, mm. of all people. Ugh. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, uh, well, I'm... I'm I, what I'm saying is, like, the, what, what we call assault and all that stuff now, in the 80s, that we've like, whoa, the teacher on the student, what? And then it's it's kind of encouraged in the newest one, in Fist Fight. Mm-hmm. It's encouraged. It's an encouragement of that idea. Like she's like she says the thing about uh, yeah, we only see the aftermath. We don't actually see the teacher's seduction skills. Like like that's what you take away from don't have sex with your students. <laughs> anyway, yeah. anyway. It's played for laughs. We get it. Uh, but yeah, that uh, 3 o'clock high is probably my favorite. I think I, I, that one is really moved up on my list of favorite teen movies of this era. And But Chocolate War has been one, our final film. You know what, Archie? What? Life is sad sometimes. Two more names. Your name is Roland Gubert. Tell me why you're here! For an assignment. Who the hell do they think I am? I'm in charge here now. The entire school is my responsibility. Don't ever forget that. If the sale goes down the drain, you and the vigils go down the drain. One more name. The kid who just left the field. When they wiped out. Kid named Renault, freshman. His mother just died. Poor kid. That must be hard. You know what he needs? What? Therapy. You can't make your life very bad. Very sad. It's your mother, Jerry. She's proud of you. Put him down for the chocolates. This is more than a sale. It is a crusade. I'm not going to sell the chocolates. The boys have become infected. A terrible disease. Difficult to cure. And you're missing a lot of things, Jerry. We're just asking you to take the chocolates and sell them. We're not asking Archie. We're telling. Is one that's Holy been on my crap. list since the minute I saw it, and it's just stuck in my head. When did you see it? Uh, 15 years ago, maybe? I had seen an ad 30 years ago. You know how video stores used to have their monthly magazines where they promote 
all the stuff that was coming out. I saw that, and then I saw a beautiful uh, a promotion uh, in Premiere Magazine and all these critical acclaim stuff. And I was like, I don't know who any of these people are. I think that's a kid from Weird Science. I don't know who the rest of these people are. They're pushing, you know, Bud Court, Wally Ward, back when he was Wally Ward instead of Wallace Langham. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and John Glover and stuff like that. And I was like, this still looks interesting, though, but I could never find it. It was from some small company, MCEG, which uh, they handled maybe like a dozen movies, and most of them went, you know, defunct, and they're hard to find now. Um, well, not hard to find online, but physical copies, yes. Yeah. And uh, so my sister had found a copy at the library, and she had read the book, and she was a huge fan. I never got to read the book. But I, I watched the movie, and I was just transfixed. Because now, uh, my history in school has always been one of rebellion, one that got me into trouble many, many times. Who are we kidding? Not just school, now. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's never going to end. At this age, I just turned 43. It's not going to end. I'm going to be rebellious till the day I die. Broken down, but rebellious. And it just yeah. really spoke to me, and I wish I had seen it even younger, um, though I might have gotten more trouble in life. But when I, when I met Ian Michael Smith, uh, is it? No, it's Ilan Michael Smith. I said that wrong. It's whole time I thought it was yeah. Ian. It's Ilan he, Michael Smith. He'd be Ilan. <laughs> I uh, met him a couple months ago at Comic-Con, and I just had to tell him how important it was to me. Yeah, I really wish I knew about this a long time ago. The soundtrack itself oh, yeah. is like something that I would have been listening to anyway. It's got Peter Gabriel, it's got Yaz on it. Not so much Yaz. Every once in a while a Yaz song will pop up that I like, aka Yazoo. Um, but, Upstairs uh, at Eric's! Two of, I've heard way too many times because yeah. of a girl! <laughs> they, they use two of their songs, and one of them repeatedly in this movie, but um, Peter Gabriel just let them have their song, have his song, and that's just really rad of Peter Gabriel. He does unusual stuff him. like that. He he will do movie songs and he'll give them away, or he'll do. He even did like crappy sci-fi show called Space Hunter with Michael Pare about fifteen years ago. Yeah, he just did yeah. The theme song. I, 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 I know that because of this. This is weird. That I was looking at Peter Gabriel stuff because of this movie, and I came across this. Theme Star song, Star but that was actually just a, yeah a remix of a song that he had already done. Okay, for and so they remixed it for that TV show pilot. Now this or, is or the TV show intro. Peter Gabriel, this is like his peak pop era. But before like eighty seven and and after ninety two is it went back to being weird and experimental. A lot of people don't realize that. Yeah, um, I like Peter. G I I never listened to him, but I like him a whole lot. So I have these moments where. I'll actually dig into his catalog and just play it for a week and then go away for for another five years or something. But yeah. anyway. But this movie and the, and the soundtrack and everything like that are really indicative of the whole college, private school, modern rock thing that was kind of under the surface. Like, I didn't know yeah. about it because I grew up in Indiana and we're very mainstream there. But this this was a, a thriving, uh, not counterculture, but it was a thing that you know younger people were into that looking back on it, I was like, oh, you see bits and pieces of us in all these movies but chocolate lore really locks down that that style yeah. now i only heard of this seriously i only heard of this 2019 i had an episode of what did we just watch about meet the de not to meet the deedles i always do that too meet the Hollowheads, and john glover's in that and my guest mike delaney from splat house podcast was like oh John Glover's really, you know what's really good? John Glover's really good in Chocolate War. 
And then he started telling me about it. And I was like, that's a different show. Wait, stop. <laughs> what is <laughs> the Chocolate War while we're at it? The Chocolate War is about a Catholic prep school, private school, all boys in this story. And the uh, new headmaster is kind of under pressure to raise funds. To It's a yearly thing that they do. They have a fundraiser to sell chocolates. But there's also a secret society in the school called the Vigils. That school secret society isn't so secret. It's, uh, it's um, exclusive more than secret, where you have to be a certain type of person to be folded in. And once you're a vigil, you kind of um, call the shots on the rest of the school. It's almost like a, a, a government, a school government um, behind the scenes. So you might have the class president, but whatever. The vigils actually call the shots. Now, the school um, headmaster, John Glover, tries to get the vigils to help him sell the chocolates even more this year. He has to do double because he actually took the money <laughs> and needs to replace that money oh, with no. even more. So it's, it's kind of screwed up. Uh, he, he like took it to invest it in something whatever and it didn't pay off so this one kid they mark him down and as the vigils they order all the other kids in school various things this one kid Ellen, they tell him when they ask you to sell chocolates say no so he abides he says no for the first week and they're like but on the second week say yes second week comes around he says no and he continues on that no path, which rubs everybody in power the wrong way, up until the point where there is a boxing match at the end of the film and the story. Now, the story, it's different. He does not win the boxing match. He gets nearly beaten to death. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. But in the movie, he beats the, the, the main uh, bad guy, Archie, uh, played by Wally. He beats him, and that guy, he, these guys are perfect. Like, Keith Gordon directed this movie. Keith Gordon, the rich kid from Legend of Billie Jean, directed this movie. He and Wally were buddies, and uh, they worked together. They did a movie prior to this, I believe. It was made for TV. Combat Academy. Yes, private school movie called Combat Academy, where they are like O.C. and Stiggs, but really a lot nicer. <laughs> And it's a big F you to the Combat Academy where they are. And it's a fun film. It's not great. But they have really great chemistry. So it shows the confidence that uh, Gordon has in Wally. Like, he just lets him be subtle in his um, misanthropic nature. It's really, really great. Uh, X-Files' Doug Hutchinson is in this, too. He plays uh, Tombs in X-Files, the mm -hmm. guy who can stretch himself and be all weird. He's in this as one of the vigils, and he ends up taking over the vigils by the end of it, and he has no subtlety to his, uh, his menace. <laughs> None at all by the end of it. But Archie, um, the, the thing that I really like about this ending, where our main guy wins, he doesn't just win, but he ends up helping the the fundraiser anyway 
it pays off because people are betting and all that stuff on him winning or him losing. Right. And it ends up working for, which he was trying to not work for them. And he also has a flash of his, like, dead mother <laughs> guilting him for going along with this fight in the first place. So it's a little bit more more um, nuanced than just him getting the crap beat out of him. Yeah. He gets, now by the end in the movie, he gets psychologically, like, his own guilt of various reasons. Uh, so he's having two fights up. at once. Yeah, so he beats the guy up, and then he's like, yeah! And then he looks in the audience, and he sees a the, the ghost of his mom and he's like oh yeah oh, crap you know well I mean I think I think what makes this movie so special is that it was directed by Keith Gordon who was you know what probably about 25 at the time and he's young he has a sense of what it was like just you know like not that long or uh, not you know not too far back whereas if you had handed this to a more um, mature filmmaker I don't think they would have got the nuances in the voice or just the time period right yeah it was an interesting part period in time too. It's, it's that uh, closing in, uh, closing off of the century, yeah, not century, the decade. Excuse me, I'm stupid sometimes. People. Yeah, numbers are not my suit. Closing off of the decade where things started going uh, more towards uh, an accepted version of punk aesthetic. So the people outside of the school, this even also has a homophobic moment, and where there's a bully. Uh, who was paid to antagonize our uh, main character, and he basically says that he's in the closet. And he's not. Our char- main character isn't gay. He's just not gay. And to be be accused of something that you're not is is not good, period, regardless of what you're being accused of. Right. So then he gets beat up by a gang of kids, like children, like... 12 kids come out of the woodwork to beat him up, um, which is a very strange scene. This movie is kind of surreal, don't you think? Yeah, it's, it has dreamlike qualities to it. I thought it was just more layered than I expected. You know, just, oh, I, that's a thing that normal directors wouldn't have done. Yeah. It's absolutely. more pensive. You see, you see it in Keith Gordon's later movies, too, that his movies are more withdrawn. Yeah, especially in an era where it. everything was so big. I mean, we're talking the hair, shoulder pads, colors, attitude, special effects, you know, stuff like that. It was just big, big, big. Now, I think along with this, I think the kind of tone, uh, it's, it's it's slightly different, but I think a good double feature might be um, River's Edge. Oh, I was thinking movie. more Heaven Help Us, but... Well, I'm just thinking young kids um, kind of working against what you expect them to yeah. be like. So, now, have you seen Heaven Help Us? Do you know what I'm talking about with Andy McCarthy? No, oh, probably it, not. It's yeah. at a Catholic school in the 60s, and he's basically rebelling against the system, which is becoming corrupt and abusive. And I thought those are... Oh, well, yeah. okay. Thematically, it's very similar. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, I really like all of the movies on this list, but my two uh, current favorites, I will say... Three o'clock high is always going to be the one, but uh, Chocolate War is like this new discovery for me, and I love it. Oh, I'm glad. Well, I guess that's it. So, I don't know how to end this. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Look forward to your new show. Yep. So, uh, what is it called? We got the beat. We got the beat. Yeah. It's all so, about beat um, farming, and uh, I'm going to. Uh... <laughs>
Beats are okay. Beats rule. Carrots <laughs> rule. <laughs> no, that's right. so we we will be. The show's not done, but he's got this huge project he wants to tackle. I've been interested in doing this. We thought about trying to do both shows interlaced, and it's just I don't think it's going to work. But we're going to just do small. What is like thematic seasons, like four to six episodes about one particular theme, and then we'll take long hiatuses and come back and do those. Yeah. So, instead of twelve episodes a year, well, we got down to what maybe ten, where it's just you and I. Yeah. Maybe ten a year. Yeah. Like I said, it'll be cut about in half. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, check us out on Facebook under Video Nights. This is so weird. I never close down an episode. This is a not with you. It is. <laughs> Um, <laughs> not with me so where can we check out your new project uh, grumpire.com it's like vampire but grump grumpire so what well, was he just depressed about drinking blood ugh blood again damn <laughs> uh, we just struggled to find a name for it and I, then I just said grumpire because um, a lot of movies suck and we're grumpy about them and but you know that's not exactly what Grumpire is. Grumpire is a website about film where you can pretty much write about it how you want, as opposed to what uh, over on Twitter, if you say something, you have to play the positivity patrol. You have to play along with their thing where you can't say anything negative or anything critical. Unless everybody's saying something uh, negative, then all of a sudden you have to ride that boat. Yeah, exactly. But you, you can't be critical. You can't think critically about film or media of any sort. At Grumpire, you can. We're allowing you to. And if you wanted to write, you could write for us. Michael, you might be writing for us. I might if I ever get my shit together. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll wait for you. We'll leave the light on for you. Okay. <laughs> Motel 6. <laughs> Tom Bodette. <laughs> I didn't realize I had Tom Bodette yeah. as a guest this whole time. <laughs> yep, this whole time. All right, so that is so, it for us. So, yeah. Right? Well, you can reach us on Twitter at, at Grumpire Online. Okay. That's Twitter. So, there you go. Coolness. All right, everybody. Have a good night.